Y'all give God a good hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, before we jump into this this morning's sermon, uh, sermon and scripture text, hey, I want to stop for a moment and just say, if we have any veterans in the house, can you stand for just a moment? We want to stop and acknowledge you on Memorial Day weekend. You guys are awesome and amazing. Hey, guys, turn the house lights back up so everybody can see who's standing, if you don't mind. And so, yes, give them a great big hand clap of praise. Amen. Come on. Thank you guys for all you guys do, for the amazing job that you guys have done. And we are so excited to celebrate with you. Oh, come on. Give me one more good hand clap of praise before you're seated this morning. They're worth it. And hey, I, want, I do want to pray over you guys and say thank you and also pray over the current men and women who are serving overseas and even at home and, and uh, just ask God to bless the lives of all the military families that we have. So can we do that? If there's a, a military member around you, just lay your hands on them. If you know somebody, be thinking about them as we pray and lift them up. So just go to the Lord with me in prayer real quick. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you. Father, we declare that you are good, and we thank you for your hand, how it's rested on this nation for years. And Lord God, we ask right now in the name of Jesus that your hand would rest on every soldier, every man, every woman, every child who's affected by uh, their parents being in the military right now. We don't want to forget, Lord God, those who have served selflessly, served sacrificially, and what they've done physically in the earth is, is, is very much like the discipleship-oriented process that you've called us to do as believers in Christ. And so God, even even as Pastor Mitch prayed this morning that, that, that a soldier set an example how we should even live as believers, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and walking out the things of the kingdom of God. Lord, we want to bless them. We, Lord, we pray for all those families who have lost loved ones uh, in military uh, uh, events and things that have taken place. Lord, heal the brokenhearted in Jesus' name. Lord, we also want to go on, on warfare on behalf of our military men and women all around the world. And we just declare that no spirit of PTSD can rest upon their life in Jesus' name. We just rebuke a spirit of depression in the name of Jesus that comes upon them when they come home or when they're abroad. We thank you, Lord God, that the blood of Jesus covers them for their physical protection and their spiritual protection. Lord, we just declare that no curse can rest on their life. And Lord God, nothing that can attach themselves to them when they come back home, Lord God, that they're free when they come home and cleansed of anything that would set them back or set them uh, apart from doing what you've called them to do. Lord, we love our soldiers. We love those who have served, and Lord, we bless them now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Y'all give God one more good hand clap of praise and thank our soldiers for all that they've done. As we're in a series this morning, we're concluding our series called May Day today. And as we're concluding this series, we know that May Day is this, and it's an emergency procedure word used internationally as a distress signal and voice procedure communication. So basically, whenever somebody is flying a plane or they're the captain of the ship and they enter a crisis situation, whenever they're about to go down or the ship is about to go down or the plane is about to go down, they always use that distress signal called May Day, and they say it three times times in a row so that's to avoid any confusion so when the call goes out it goes out as mayday 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 and it's done three times in a row to make sure it's not mistaken for any other sound or any other phrase and so as we've been talking about this series called mayday we've started this series on mayday with the issue that's plaguing the church that 80 percent of churches are in decline 80 percent of churches are in decline 
17% of churches are growing by transfer of membership. Means you people are at one church and they go to another church and churches are growing by that manner. So 17% of churches are growing there, but only 3% of churches are growing because of lost people being born again or people who have been disconnected from the church for an extended period of time coming back to church through actual evangelism. And so we want to switch that tide as the church. And so if we're dealing with 80% of the churches in decline, only 17% are growing, and only 3% are actually going and reaching those who don't have a place to call home, those who are lost and don't know Christ, or those who have, may have once encountered Christ but have fallen away, if only 3% of churches are growing by that number, we must begin to embark on something what I call search and rescue. And that's the title of this morning's message. It's called search and rescue. And as we jump into the scripture text this morning, you're going to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter number 15. And in Luke chapter number 15, there's three parables in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the shepherd that goes, gets the one lost sheep and leaves the 99 behind. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 8, it's the parable about the lady who loses one of her most valuable coins. She loses one of the ten coins, and she searches diligently until she finds it. And then the most common parable in Luke chapter 15, it's the parable of what we call the prodigal son. But the term prodigal means to spend lavishly. And if the term prodigal means to spend lavishly, I want to ask you, who really spent lavishly during this parable of the prodigal son? It would actually be the father. And so we, ought to, we probably ought to entitle it Prodigal God for the parable because he's the one who spent everything he had to bring his two sons back into right relationship with himself. And you have the religious son and the rebellious son. And so we're going to pick out three scripture verses. The first one is Luke 15, 4, and then Luke 15, 8, and then Luke 15, 32. And so Luke 15, 4 says this. It says, What man of you, having 100 sheep... If he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. That's Luke 15, 4. Luke 15, 8 says this. Or what woman? Everybody say amen. Because in these parables, God addresses two things. The first is what man of you? In the second parable, he said, or what woman? So he's talking about the same context about the abilities of men and women in the body of Christ. Come on, somebody, get with me on this. That we have the ability and the anointing to go reach and to seek out and to save that which is lost here in the kingdom of God. And so it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds that coin. And then Luke 15, 32 the father says to the, the religious son that's standing outside the tent, It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother, the rebellious one, was dead and is now alive. He was lost and now he is found. So Father God, in Jesus' name, open up our hearts. Reveal to us your heart so we can impact this region. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. And so right now we've addressed three types of maydays. Three different types of maydays in Luke 15. And I'm going to address these three different scenarios that we just talked about this morning as the wrecked, the recovered, and then you have the R&R, it's the religious and the rebellious, right? And so we're going to talk about four different, four different types of people, three different maydays that Jesus brings out in the scripture. And it's the first one is the wrecked. 
direct one. And this is in Luke 4, 15. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The lost person who doesn't know Jesus Christ is the one I'm referring to as wrecked. How many of you remember before you knew Jesus? How many of you know how much better it is after you know Jesus? Some of, it's, some of you, it's been too long since you've met Jesus because you don't sound excited about how great it is after Jesus. Come on, somebody. There's a lot of people, I'm telling you, you forget how bad it was when you were lost. So you lose your excitement about how it is to be saved. And I've never lost my passion for preaching because I've never forgot how it was to be born again. I never forgot how it was that moment when I first encountered Christ Jesus. And I can remember it was like yesterday in 1988 when the power of God touched my life and I met Jesus Christ for the first time. And I remember it just like it was yesterday. Therefore, my passion today has not fizzled out since yesterday, but it's become greater over the years since I've been born again. And some of you, it's been too long since you've encountered your salvation moment. And I'm encouraging you to go back to that moment. You've been saved 20, 30 years, and oh, I was born again a long time ago, but it should feel like it was yesterday. I was born again back in 1970-whatever, or 2017. It doesn't matter. Because if you've lost your passion for that moment, it's been too long since you've remembered your born-again experience. If you've lost your passion for that moment... You've lost everything about the power of God that he wants to move you into to help somebody else come into a place of search and rescue. And so I want to encourage you on this. It says, the man, the, the shepherd, what, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99. So listen, Jesus is talking here and he's talking about a search and rescue mission where he's willing to go after the 1% right. that everyone else has rejected. Now, your 1% is going to be different than this person's 1%. And your 1% over here is probably going to be different than their 1% back there. But your sphere of influence, I guarantee you, is the 1% of all of the population that God wants you to go after. That's why there's your sphere of influence and they're your 1%. Yeah. And so with this, I want to encourage you. Jesus says, I'm going after the one. I'm going after the one who no one else will go after. I'm going after the one who's wrecked in the moment. I'm going after the one who doesn't have a hope even though he thinks he has a hope. I'm going after the one. See, rescuing the wrecked is easy when the crisis that person is in is obvious. Right? See, when somebody's wrecked with no hope and doesn't know Jesus, we always go to a crisis mentality of, oh my gosh, they're about to die of some horrid, horrible, wretched disease. Or, oh my goodness, they're, they're, they're bankrupt and they're in financial despair. Or, oh my goodness, they're, they're hurting in some way, shape, or form. Or they're going through depression. Or there's some catastrophic thing happening to them. And we always approach this like if we're going to go after the wrecked, they got to be wrecked in our eyes in the way we view it rather than God's eyes in the way he views it. Oh, yeah. See, God views anybody wrecked as anybody who don't have Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. We view people wrecked of people who are, is, who are in a physical crisis. So we've got to go after the wrecked who are in a physical crisis. But what about the non-crisis crisis that is plaguing the church today? The non-crisis crisis. The ones who are wrecked 
and are okay being wrecked and okay with no hope of Jesus because everything is going okay without Jesus. See, it's the non-crisis crisis that the church struggles with. See, when a tornado hits like it did in Oklahoma yesterday, it's no big deal for the church to respond rapidly and come together because there's a physical crisis that we can see. But what about the non-crisis crisis that is going on? It's the people who are okay, the people who make your amount of money, the people who are just like you, except they're not here and they're sleeping in this morning and you are here because there's something different you've encountered about Jesus. See, it's the non-crisis crisis. It's the non-crisis wreck that we've got to be opening up our eyes to because not everybody is always in a catastrophic financial, physical health, death or life situation, but there is a non-crisis crisis that the church has by and large overlooked. And it's the people who seem normal and life is okay, which is actually, I would say, a more dangerous crisis than the physical crisis or the spiritual crisis that somebody knows they have. See, if you don't know you're in a crisis, it's more dangerous than when you do know you're in a crisis. If you don't know you're about to get hypothermia, it's a lot more dangerous than knowing you're about to get hypothermia because you know you're in a crisis and know you need something greater than yourself. The issue with the non-crisis crisis is we don't think we need anything or anyone greater than us. And there is the crisis of the wrecked. So you got the lost person who's in a crisis, but then you got the non-crisis crisis person who's wrecked. And so that's the wrecked. The next type of person that's in May Day, I want to refer to them as the recovered. So you got the wrecked and you got the recovered. Now listen to how this opening sentence talks about this person who is recovered. It says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. So you got the wreck, those who are in crisis and those who are in non-crisis but don't know Jesus, no hope of him, and need a savior. But what about this story? This person says there was a woman who began to search in the house, not outside of the house. This is the one who's lost in the house and needs to be recovered. Now, I'm going to go so far as to say it's not just lost that you're in the house this morning and you don't know Jesus. That would be wrecked. I'm talking about the one who needs to be recovered. I'm talking about the one this morning who you need to be recovered because you've come here for six months and you still haven't found a place of relationship. You still haven't found a place of belonging. You still haven't found a way to fit in. You still haven't found your group life of people. You still haven't found your place and you feel lost in the system. You feel lost in the crowd. You feel lost with all the people that are coming and going and you don't know if you'd be missed if you never came back. I'm telling you, you would be missed and we need to go out and have search and rescue within the house not just outside of the house for those who need to be recovered and have a place of belonging and connection come on see we we're good about saying let's get outside the house but when are we going to address the issue inside the house if you've been to twbc been going here more than five years just hold your hand up right i'll show you the crisis of mayday how many people have you seen come and go from TWBC in the last five years because they needed to be found and sought after and searched and rescued, but they were in the house, but were lost, and they drifted away, and we never found them. 
And did we not find them because we didn't seek them? And I get this all the time. Well, pastor, we're not babysitters, but maybe we should be search and rescuers. This has nothing to do with babysitting. This has everything with doing with I've got a heart like this woman who's going after the 10%. She had 10 coins. She lost one. I've got a heart like this woman who is going after the 10% who come in and feel they have no place to call home, but they need a place to call home because they're dying on the inside. Even though they look normal on the outside, they're not wrecked because they know Jesus, but they definitely need to be recovered because they don't have a place of belonging. Are we going to go after them? Are we going to seek them out? Are we going to search them? Are we going to find them? And this is why Next Steps is so important. Next Steps is not a program. Next Steps is not a system. Next Steps is a way for you to connect, a way for you to relate, a way for you to belong, a way for you to find community, a way for you to find life, a way for you to blend in and become a part of the living stones of the body of Christ that connect together so we become a kingdom moving force going forward. And listen, June in Next Steps, I'm just going to call it Makeup Month because there's, a, there's several people in our church who you've gone to one or two weeks of Next Steps and you're one week away from being able to be plugged from being able to be recovered, from being able to be planted. And so when Pastor Damon calls you this week, don't hang up on him. Don't neglect that phone call because we're going on a search and rescue mission for you. And if you hang up on the search and rescue team that's coming to find you, you can't blame us for the lost place that you're in. Come on. And then if you do hang up on us, guess what? You're going to get a call from another pastor. And you're going to get a call from another pastor and another pastor because we are on a search and rescue mission, not just for those who are outside of the house, but what about those who are inside the house and don't have a place of belonging yet? Come on, somebody. Let's go after those. Let's recover those in the house of God today. And finally, this person. There's two people in the last category, and I call it the R&R. And it's not rest and relaxation. It's the religious and the rebellious. And a lot of people leave the church for two reasons. They either become too religious or too rebellious. The church isn't good enough and there's church hurt and people aren't doing what I thought they should do and being who I thought they should be. And, and we get this stigma on us of I've got to correct and do everything and we leave because, because they're just not good enough. And then we got the rebellious who are over here who come into the house that the religious and the rebellious are all supposed to be in the house, but they work a lot like magnets and they're repelling each other because the religious doesn't want to sit by the rebellious because they're too sinful. The sinful doesn't want to sit by the religious because they're too holy and they can never measure up. And what the problem is, it's not about the religious. It's not about the rebellious. It's all about the Father. It's all about glorifying and honoring Him. And if I walk in this building on a Sunday morning and concerned about the religious or the rebellious or anything and not concerned about bringing the heart of the Father to the religious and the rebellious at the same time, I'm going to miss the kingdom of God. Now, now listen to what the Father said in this story. He's talking outside of the tent of celebration because the rebellious, the one our son came home. And he is celebrating. He killed the fatted calf and he is excited. But when the religious comes in from the outside who've been slaving all day, that's his exact terminology. In the NIV, he says, I've been slaving for you all my life and you didn't give me anything. And this son of yours comes home and you kill the fatted calf 
And the father is standing outside of the tent of celebration where the rebellious son has gone in, pleading with the religious son to come in the house as well. See, God's not for this 50% or that 50%. God's for the full house. Amen. And the minute Joel T. Meyer thinks he doesn't need Jesus any longer, I'm going to fall into one of two categories, and that's either the religious or the rebellious. But God still wants Joel T. Meyer in the house, so I've got to keep my heart surrendered before him and saying, God, how do we get the religious set free and in the house and the rebellious set free and in the house so you can have your kingdom that you desire and your son died for? So I don't know who you're looking at, in your workplace as religious or rebellious. I don't know who you're looking at in the house of God as religious or rebellious. I don't know who you're thinking when they walk in the door. Why are they here? Well, probably because they need Jesus. Okay. When somebody who does not look like you walks in this building, you should run to embrace them, not ask the question, why are they here? Right? We should run to embrace those people who are different than us. And I'm not talking about just smell different and you automatically go to homeless society. People, if they walked in, how would we treat them? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about anybody who's different. I'm talking they may be dressed just like me, but their skin color may be different. Or they may be dressed exactly opposite of me, but they have the same skin color. They may wear skinny jeans and you may not wear skinny jeans. Come on, somebody. (laughs) They may dress in all black because that's the style of the generation following us. And you may be dressed in a bright red shirt and you got to figure out how to relate. (laughs) Come on, somebody. And you know what the problem is? You're trying to relate on the way you dress rather than relate on the father who dresses you. And we got to start relating on the father who dresses us because he would have put a robe on the religious son just like he put a robe on the rebellious son. And when we start looking at people according to the way the father dresses us. It'll transform everything about our life. So the thing about these um, three, three types of people, the four different people or the three maydays that go on, you have the wrecked, the recovered, the religious, and the rebellious. The one thing they all have in common is this. They're all held by the same captor. They're all held in bondage by the same captor in their life. And there was a scenario that happened back in 1973 in Stockholm, Sweden, and it came away with something called the Stockholm Syndrome. And the church, by and large, suffers from this very thing today, except uh, it's not called the Stockholm Syndrome, but for today's message, I'm going to call it the extraction of Stockholm, because it's something that we've got to address in our life. And here's what happened, or here's what Stockholm Syndrome is. It says, Stockholm Syndrome is this, it is a condition which causes hostages to develop a psychological alliance with their captors after surviving after a survival strategy um, during captivity. These alliances result from a bond formed between the captor and the captives during their intimate time together. So what it's saying is there's a psychological thing that happens with the alliance of the hostage and the captor as a survival strategy when they're held in captivity. And these alliances result from their intimate time of trauma that took place as they're together. 
Now, this term was first used in 1973 when four hostages were taken during a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. The hostages defended their captors after being released and would not agree to testify against them in court. Stockholm Syndrome is this. It is paradoxical because the, the sympathetic sentiments of the captives and what they feel towards their captors are opposite of the fear and disdain of which an onlooker might feel towards the captors. So what am I saying? There's got to be in the church something called what I call extraction Stockholm. Because the things that the people went through in Stockholm were this. The hostages were held captive by a captor, but they fell in love with their captivity. They fell in love with their captivity to the point of when people came to rescue them, that they would push away the rescuers because they so much had a bond with their captivity and their captor. This is no different than in the house of God today. There are things that people in the church, in the house of God, have let themselves come into captivity with, but because freedom has been so far long and so far gone, we've fallen in love with the captivity, and now when somebody wants to set us free, we're like, no, this is mine. When you've actually bound yourself to the captor, and the captor doesn't even have you bound because of the blood of Jesus, but now you're hooked to him. Listen, there's four commonalities that they came up with that characterize the Stockholm Syndrome is this. A hostage's, number one is a hostage's development of positive feelings toward the captor and enjoying captivity. So the way the bank robbers did this is they came in, they brought the four people in a room, they held them hostage, but they were so kind and loving to them in the bank robbery and over the course of time that the people attached and had an affiliation with them and began to literally protect them over the ones who were trying to rescue them. The second component is this. There was no previously rela previous relationship between the hostage and the captor. So that's saying this in a spiritual sense. The enemy can come into your life like this and hit you in such a way that you get thrown off track, but the trauma is so great that you develop an affinity or an affiliation with your captor rather than Jesus who's trying to set you free, even though you've never encountered what just you experienced. The third thing is this. A refusal by the hostages to cooperate with the police forces and other government authorities. The hostages were so taken by the captors and the psychological connection that was between them that when the actual people trying to rescue them in the search and rescue mission came, they didn't want it. They got so comfortable with captivity that they didn't want freedom anymore. How many believers in the house of God are so comfortable with the things you're held captive to that you don't want the freedom from it anymore? You've learned to deal with life with the issues that you're going through. When Jesus has come to set you free from the issues that you're going through, but we're pushing against what Jesus is trying to do because we're so affiliated with the captors and the captivity that we've been in. The final component was this. A hostage's belief in the humanity of their captor because they cease to perceive the captor as a threat when the victim holds the same value as the aggressor. The ones who got held hostage fell so in love with the captivity 
that they became what this says um, held the same values now as the captivity or the captors it changed their value system it changed who they were let me bring this to a commonality here in the body of Christ and it's something that we all deal with your pastor included and once you graduate one level I'm telling you there's another level of it to graduate and so I want to encourage you if you deal with insecurity in any way shape or form I'm going to tell you how this same trap, the Stockholm uh, Syndrome, happens in your life. And I'm going to tell you this. There is an extraction plan that Jesus has for you, and you just got to recognize what you're held captive to. And so with that, if you deal with insecurity, you're not just dealing with insecurity. You're dealing with the spirit of fear. And you've dealt with your insecurity, or which is literally the spirit of fear for so long in this process that you've developed an affinity or you've developed a relationship with your insecurity and the world has embraced it because they just say it's just your character trait. And so what the world has labeled your character trait is really your captor. And if it has become your character trait because your values have aligned with this character trait, your character trait is now in direct contrast to the new spirit man and the new creation God has created you have. Because the last time I read the Bible, he says, you have been born again and you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone and the new has come. So your character trait has now become a, a, a spirit warfare against the the spiritual character of who you're supposed to be and we've embraced fear calling it insecurity and saying it's just part of our personality of who we are because this is our character when your spiritual character of who you are in Christ far supersedes that of who you used to be before you met Christ and If you'll come to the place of knowing Christ as Lord over your insecurity, he'll not only set you free from your captors, but he'll also set you free from the the, the alliance or the allegiance you've held with your captivity. If you don't begin to address whatever it is that you're held captive with, it will hinder your destiny. It will stop the movement of the kingdom of God. And it will hinder the anointing of God that he wants to bring into your life to go into search and rescue and set captivity, uh, set captives free from captivity. Now, listen to this. If you are just looking to survive in this life, you will fall in love with the captivity that is holding you back. If you don't have a driving force that is greater than yourself. If you don't have a passion inside of you that is stronger than the captivity that's holding you, you'll settle for the captivity that's holding you and you will fall short of the destiny that God's trying to bring you into. In the church, what's holding you captive? And here's the thing. Some of you are saying, nothing, I'm doing good, I'm free. If you think you're free from everything, that is your captivity. It's kind of like... If you think you don't have an issue, that's your issue. You think you're perfect already. When the last time I checked, I must approach the throne of grace with boldness to help me in my time of need, to help me get through the captivity that I don't even know I'm held captive to sometimes. 
I must begin to approach the throne of grace with boldness, knowing that Joel is going to be made perfect only when I'm in the likeness and the image of Christ. And that means I got to be in his presence to get there. Come on, somebody. And so God wants you to quit living for the moment and start living for your destiny of what he's called you to be. But if you're only settling and only looking to survive in this life, you'll fall in love with the captivity that's holding you into bondage. And I'm still going to go ahead and declare that you're set free this morning in Jesus' name. That you're set free right now in Jesus' name. That chains are falling, handcuffs are coming off, you're being set free, and you're going to embrace freedom in Christ Jesus, not embrace the captivity that you've been walking in. But here's the thing. If you deal with this like, like I do on different levels at all different times, and it seems to hit you out of the blue sometimes, and, and you're getting freedom from it on a different level, and, it, and it's insecurity, which is really fear, hey, you're in good company. Because God showed up to Joshua. And he told Joshua three times in nine verses, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Again, he said, I said, be very strong and courageous. So the thing that helps you overcome fear is the love of God because it says that's the love of God that casts out fear. The thing that helps you become in who God's called you to be, though, is courage. So you don't need courage to fight insecurity. You need the love of God to fight insecurity because it's fear-based. But when you're fighting the insecurity, God's going to give you a spirit of courage to walk out of the insecurity that's held you captive. So that's why he said, Joshua, I don't need you strong. I need you strong in the love of God and courageous because what I'm about to call you to do. (laughs) I'm calling you to lead the whole nation into a land of promise. I'm calling you, TWBC, to lead the whole region into a land of promise. But if you want to stay held captive by insecurity, you're never going to get to the promise of God. But if you'll get set fear by the love of God and the courage of God to take a step of faith across the river, you'll go into the place of promise of God. And so listen, it doesn't matter if you think you're a great leader or you don't think you're a leader at all. If you deal with fear or insecurity, God wants to set you free this morning. And the power of God wants to move in your life. And so what is the extraction plan? They're going to throw an extraction graphic up on the screen. And as they put that extraction graphic up on the screen, I want to talk to you quickly how we're going to walk people into the kingdom of God. The first one is we got to identify who we're looking for, the lost person. The lost person. We're going to identify who we're looking for. And that is the wrecked, the recovered, the religious, and the rebellious. Who are you looking for? When you go to work tomorrow, who are you looking for? The wrecked, the recovered, the religious, or the rebellious? Because if we're not looking for anybody, we're not going to see anybody. But if we'll begin to open our spiritual eyes, we'll begin to look for and see who God is trying to show us. And so we must identify who we're looking for. And that is the people who God has called us to. It's our 1%. It could be the 10% that are in the house but have, have need to be recovered. Or it could be the religious or the rebellious. And so I'm not saying specify your life. I'm going after this certain individual. Just say, I'm looking across the board to identify one of the four people that God just showed me about. The second thing is, you got to have a personal interest, a personal interest. And now after we come from lost person, you got personal. I want them to leave it on those two right there, because if you're looking for the lost, it can be the wrecked, 
That can be crisis or non-crisis crisis. It can be the recovered. It can be the, it can be the religious or the rebellious. Either way, you got to identify them and you got to take a personal interest in them. You got to take a personal interest to help somebody out of their time of need. And with that, as you're taking that personal interest, you got to make sure that you know who you are. You got to know who you are, Tony. You got to know who you are. You guys in student ministries, you got to know who you are, Gavin. You got to know who you are because that takes you to the next step. If you don't know who you are, Donald, and you don't understand who you are, you're going to put a personal investment into somebody when you need to put a personal invite to somebody. Because so many people put a personal investment to somebody when they're still needing to be rescued. The worst thing you can do is try to rescue a swimmer without the proper gear because they'll sink themselves and you. Some of us, you, we, we just haven't been rescued long enough. We haven't been walking long enough. So instead of pouring yourself into somebody where it brings them down and you down, you need to pour a personal invite to somebody and bring them to the house of God where we can pour a personal investment into them. And with that, your job may simply be to make the mayday call and get them to the house so somebody can do the rescuing. Some of you in the house are well equipped to pour a personal investment into somebody. But because of a hurt, you've been not investing and you've been holding back. You got to get through your issues. You got to get through your places. You got to find freedom in that. And so as you go from a personal interest, you need to develop a relationship. A relationship. Why is a relationship so important? Because nobody wants to be somebody's number. Nobody wants to be somebody's tally mark on the wall. Oh, I've led 532 people to Jesus. Oh, there's 533. Tally mark. Nobody wants to be somebody's tally mark. Nobody wants to be somebody else's next notch in the belt. Nobody wants to be somebody else's next stepping stone. And so if that's all you're going for of how many people you have delivered and set free, I'm telling you, you didn't do the delivering. You didn't do the setting free anyway. It was all by the power of God. You must count yourself honored just to be the vessel of God that he's trying to use. And so you've got to develop a relationship. And here's what I mean by that. If, you're, if our Christian walk is so superficial that we just want them saved, but we don't want anything else for them, then I would suggest we don't have the heart of God. Because Jesus didn't say, go get them saved. He said, go make disciples out of them. That means make a relationship with them. Bring them to the place where they can grow in Christ. Help walk them out through this process of it. The next thing is, it should create a curiosity after you have a relationship. A curiosity. Your lifestyle should be lived in such a way that after they come out of their crisis or they never were in a crisis because they're the non-crisis crisis, that you come to a point where your lifestyle, now you're preaching at people every week, your lifestyle, your character, the fruit that's in your life is so bold and it's so good and it's so powerful and it's so robust that people see your character without you ever opening your mouth and are attracted to you and are curious about the lifestyle that you live. What do I mean by that? I mean this. Your integrity should be so good where you work that people look at you differently and are attracted to you because of it, not repelled from you. They should be curious about your lifestyle. You should have, as a believer, so much joy in your life that depressed people are attracted to you because you're so happy. 
See, some of you, you've been thinking God's put you under a curse because you always have joy, but you seem to have depressed people around you all the time. And it's not that you're under a curse. You're under the kingdom because he's trying to get the joy that's in you to the people who need it dealing with depression. Some of you are able to walk in such peace, the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Then, And peace is this. It's any storm you can sleep through. Come on. It's any storm you can sleep through. And the peace in your life is so great that it attracts people of chaos. And you thought you were under a curse and you're really under the kingdom. Because he's saying, I need this peace. The peace of nothing missing, nothing broken. The shalom of God Almighty. I need this peace that transcends all understanding to go. And you need to let your peace overflow so their hearts and minds are guarded in Christ Jesus. See, you thought God didn't like you, and actually God was just trying to promote you into his kingdom, into another level, when people were picking the fruit of you. But what are you supposed to do with fruit? You're supposed to pick it. It's supposed to get picked because it's supposed to be nourishing to the people who don't have it. They should be so curious about why you have joy in an unjoyful time or peace in an unpeaceful time or love in an unloving time that they come and they want some of the fruit that's coming from your life. They should get curious about your lifestyle. There should be an invitation to connect with Jesus. An invitation to connect with Jesus. And this is where I say personal interest. You got to figure it out. Is it personal investment or personal invite? Because you've got to give them an invitation to connect into something more. If you plug all these people into you all the time, you're going to be run ragged and die. I'm telling you. You need to give them an invitation to connect into something more. Number one, being God himself through Jesus Christ. Number two, being a body of Christ, a group life, a place of believing. And Pastor Jeff wants to start 10 grow group lives over the summer where people just have a place to connect, relate, pray for one another, and encounter God together in a relational environment. And how do we make that happen? Then there's got to be the encounter with Jesus. They got to encounter Jesus at some point. And here's what we talk about at TWBC being an encounter with Jesus. It's this. From the moment they turn down to 2560, we want them to hear the, feel the presence of God. From the moment they hit the parking lot, though, we want them to encounter Jesus. And encounter Jesus, it's got arrows around it. that has got this cycle that they never quit encountering Jesus. They encounter Jesus because somebody's at the end of the drive waving at them when they drive in. They encounter Jesus as they come under the awning and see guys smiling at them. They encounter Jesus when they park in the parking lot and people got in the parking lot are greeting them. They encounter Jesus when they walk up and hear the music playing outside because it's encountered them. They encounter Jesus when they walk in and see the indoor greeters and the kid check people and the cafe people. And when they're sitting down and they hear all about the love that we have in group life and next steps on the video announcements before service. And they encounter Jesus the minute Pastor Mitch begins to bring us into worship in the presence of God and they encounter Jesus when the message comes and they encounter Jesus at the altar call and they encounter Jesus with the ministers and they encounter Jesus when they leave and they encounter Jesus when somebody's at the end of the parking lot waving goodbye and they encounter Jesus over and over and over and over and over and over again they encounter Jesus all the stuff we do is not by chance. We want to have as many encounters with Jesus and people as possible in the time frames that we're allotted. Come on, somebody. That's why you're needed. 
If you've ever wanted to help somebody encounter Jesus, it's not necessarily singing on a stage or a platform or standing up here. It's just loving on people when they walk in, bringing somebody a cup of coffee that you know is new here for the first time. So that means you've got to show up on time. Come on, somebody. I never understood this. Why believers want to show up late to church and new people come early. When the greatest time to minister is not at the end of service, but at the beginning. I'm just being honest. The greatest time to minister is at the beginning of a service, not at any. If I don't feel that I've encountered Jesus, even though people have waved at me and done all this stuff all the time while the, wor- the worship music starting and the pastor's preaching something at me instead of to me because nobody's came and sat with me and got to know me before all this has even started, the greatest time of evangelism, even if you didn't bring somebody, is to meet somebody before a service, not after. God help us. Oh God, and I'm gonna close with this. I know I'm know I'm, I'm done. Those steps listed above us, those six steps above us, are all about us bringing somebody out of out of a place and bringing them into a place of Christ Jesus. It's extracting them. It's bringing them out of captivity into a place of freedom. But then there's more. The last two steps are this: begin being more. Go to next steps, group life, serve, grow, and know. Get involved in those three areas. And finally, it's this: it's go. Reach out, reproduce, and restore. Go, reach out, reproduce, and restore. And get it happening over and over in your life. Life after captivity is simply this. It's relationship after rescue. Life after captivity, when somebody's brought out into freedom, is this. It's relationship after the rescue. If people don't find a new group of people to associate with after the rescue, they're going to go back into captivity. We've got to give people the avenue to associate with something different than going back into the world and being all alone. We've got to give them the avenue of playing, finding a place to relate, to restore, to refresh, to recover, to get healthy, to go and be uh, somebody who reproduces in the kingdom of God. And so the question I have for you this morning is this. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And I'm asking this for a very pointed reason. Number one is this. When you leave here today, who are you looking for? But number two is this. Do you even know who you are so you know who you're looking for? Because there's people in the house this morning, I promise you this. You're the wrecked and you don't know Jesus. You're the non-crisis crisis. You're the one who needs to be recovered. You don't have a place. Pastor Jeff, would you stand up real quick? Amy, wave your hand real big over there. If you need to be recovered, if you're one of those people who don't feel you have a place to fit or belong, come to these two immediately after service this morning. Or go right now. I don't care. Stand up and start walking. I'm good. Maybe you're the religious. Or maybe you're the rebellious. And it doesn't matter which one you are. The blood of Jesus covers you all the same. Covers you all the same. So I'm going to ask everybody to stand this morning. And if you're in the house today, if you're in the house today with every eye closed, nobody looking around, and you need to make a decision for Jesus, and what I mean by that is this, you've never made Jesus Christ Lord of your life, or you've been gone away from church so long, you need a fresh encounter with Him. If you need to make a decision for Jesus, I want you to hold your hand up real high if you're one of those two that I first mentioned you need to make a decision for Jesus, you've never made him Lord of your life or you've been gone so long that you need him. 
I'm going to give you the opportunity to leave as soon as we start playing and go to one of these ministers and get prayer for. The other one is this. Do you know who you are? Some of you in the house are wrecked. You need to be restored. You're the religious or you're the rebellious. And I want you to go take communion, line up between sections one and two. Go get prayer and get ministry. Those of you who, who are in a place where you're, where you're confident about your walk with Christ, you know you still may, some, may need some freedom, but you're confident about your walk with Christ. I want you to come and begin to pray for somebody that God would open your eyes and you would begin to look for them. If you need to say yes to Jesus in any of those three things, begin to come now as we, as we sing. In three, two, one. The altars are open.